quiet at one time. Not, not used to that. Normally, normally you just keep going. Hey, welcome to the new year. It's great stuff going on. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll chatter about stuff. <clears throat> Need to find it here. Hold on. Advent 1, the coming Lord. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious as he. Zechariah 9, 9. But a different kind of victorious, as you're well aware. Almighty God and Lord, we beg you, come to us with all your power and help us who are anxious and troubled. Send to us the helper and savior that he may enter our hearts and with light illumine our night. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. That's nice. It's a good start to the season. So, uh, 28 days till Christmas. Here we go. It's a good, good time of year. We get four Sundays in Advent this year. We haven't had that for a couple of years. You know that we just, we work by the calendar sometimes just three Sundays, but we have four this year, so that's nice. If you can come midweek, do that. It's a good discipline for you and your kids. Remember all the stuff that's going on. Lessons and, lessons and carols, uh, I think, is the 11th, Saturday the 11th. That's a good thing to bring your friends and unchurched neighbors too. That's extremely non-threatening. So uh, it's a good, good place to, to start with people if you know them. And do try to be here throughout the season. It's, uh, it's a good gift. All right, did you talk to your Jewish friends, anybody? Now, not Messianic Jews, I didn't ask. I, Messianic Jews, you know, have a different view, but uh, I, Christian Messianic Jews, I was kind of, there are Messianic Jews who are non-Christian as well. Anybody talk to your friends about the Day of Atonement? Well, give it a try when you see him next time. My guess is when, when you talk to him, what they'll, they'll say is that it is quite a lot about what they do and not so much about what the Lord does. Now, the Lord always has his part. He always does. But uh, you, you listen and see whether uh, the talk is about what the Lord does or what, he, what, what they do. If you spin open to Leviticus, uh, I just want to take you just to Leviticus 10 very quickly as a start-up. Has everybody got a sheet? Anybody need one? I promise I'll bring you one. Need one? Will you? I promise after a fashion I'll bring you one. Hands up, hands up. Um, uh, Let me put another pitch in for Grace School and Christmas sharing while you're here. I know that uh, you're a a devoted elite, and I know that you get very busy. Uh, But really, Grace and and Christmas sharing are two really great big things we need to do really well because those people, frankly, don't get anything if we don't deliver. So we really need to deliver in spades for Grace and Christmas sharing. Tend that in the next couple of weeks. Please be generous, especially because uh, we get this boatload of kids we need to take care of, 200 kids and 15 babies. We've never had that before. That's a different deal. So please tend that and be generous in the next few weeks. Uh, you know, for many of those people, that's all the Christmas they'll get. Whatever you provide, boom, that's it. Um, last year, I, I was, you know, startling to have homeless people come in their cars and, you know, whatever they take away in their car, that's Christmas. So, you know, it lies with us. Let's try to do a good job with that, okay? Now, uh, over and over again, I, I always tell you that the Lord uh, makes the first move. Mummy writes me from Hampton, Iowa, where he's doing his vicarage. Yes, please. Oh, you, go ahead. On Christmas sharing? Yes. Anyone that speaks Spanish? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I should have said that. We do need Spanish-speaking folk. And, and one other thing? 
Yes? Carried over. I think there's kids in youth group who would fit that job profile. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you can, if you can just carry a bag or two across to the gym. To the gym. Is it on the stage in the gym? Yeah. Okay. So it needs to go on the stage because the kids will still be using the gym, of course. If you've got a spare hand and some time after this service, you might straight downstairs, right? Downstairs. Straight downstairs. There's, there'll be a boatload of food. If you can take a bag or two over uh, to the gym on the stage, that would be a nice thing. Many hands, light work, and all that. And you're right, Carol, you did ask me to ask about Spanish-speaking people, and I didn't say that this morning. We do need, if you speak Spanish, we will have people who only speak Spanish, and uh, you know, we just have to try to serve them best we can. But if you can speak Spanish, please, please let Carol know. Thanks for saying so. Good job. All right, um, you know, Mummy calls me from Hampton, Iowa, because I'd sent him some notes about some stuff, and I'd put it in this cryptic thing, in checkers, the Lord is always red. And you remember that, uh, you know, he writes me and asks me what that could possibly mean. (laughs) And it means, of course, what the text means in Leviticus 10. So, uh, you know, open up and uh, actually right at the end of Leviticus 9. This is kind of cool. Um, then Aaron lifted up his hands, this is Leviticus 9.22, toward the people and blessed them. So you often, you know when the pastor lifts his hands toward you at the end, and you remember that uh, sometimes you have people, you know, open-handed lift their hands, that's sort of, uh, you know, blessing out to you, but you'll often have uh, pastors who will bless you like this, which is the first two letters of Christ's name, Chi, the X, and Rho, Christus, it's abbreviation you often see. It's the Cairo, right, that you see, Christus. So often you'll be blessed or you'll see the blessing come this way because he's putting Christ on you. So that's already here in Aaron. Here he goes. He raises his hands, blesses the people. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. So it's incarnation, not in flesh and blood yet, but it's tangible presence. The glory comes down, and fire came forth from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, boom, and the fat upon the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces, which you remember you've heard at various places, Moses at the burning bush, transfiguration, sort of that being startled to the point where it's, it's like you, when you're being knighted, you bare your neck before the queen. Uh, if she wants, she can either you know, touch you on each shoulder and make you uh, sir, or she can lop your head off. It's her choice at that point. You know, in the same way, you're, you're so stricken by the glory before you, you sort of fall down and let them do what it will. So the Lord has made his move among the people. But now this very fascinating thing in verse 10 and, you know, I'll just tell you in advance, this is the warning against freelancing. You know, we're so sloppy about the Lord. It's going to come back. Uh, it's very interesting. The latest, uh, best data that we have is that people who are young, young, 15 to 20, 12 to 20, want liturgy, ritual, incense, icons, the best data that we have is that's where the church is. Now, it'll take 10 years for the church to catch up to that, and then they'll be surprised. But if you all sit tight, 
uh, you'll end up being hip 10 years from now. <laughs> think how cool that'll be. Uh, I just got a, I think I told you I got a mailing from this, this uh, was supposed to, it was established 20 years ago, sort of a hotshot Lutheran church in Phoenix. A bunch of money was poured into it to start an alternative church that would attract people. 18 years later, I just got their la latest mail that basically said, hey, what we've been doing hasn't worked that well, so here's what we're going to try. Liturgy, incense, artwork, icons. This is going to be the cutting edge of the new church, you know, to which I, I always take backhanded pleasure and expect a letter of apology, but I don't think it will ever come. So, you know, it's sort of like, well, so see, see, the, the point of all that is, is you need to be quite careful about freelancing around the Lord. The Lord says, you know, here we, here we go. Uh, I, I just have story. I can still remember how horrified I was in, you know, when I was in parochial school with this outdoor sort of uh, chaotic Holy Supper. Or when I was in seminary, I have stories to tell you, you wouldn't believe, you know. I was sort of, there was no path, so I was put there to, to help celebrate this Holy Supper in the park. And, and I have the host, I'm holding the host, and this is a true story. I'm in the park because, of course, you're closer to God there for some God only knows reason. I'm holding the host that's been consecrated, and these people set their dogs loose, who of course do what? Run right at me. Why? Because I'm holding the host. So you know, I'm, I'm holding it like this, and they're jumping up on me. I'm thinking, man, this is good for everybody, including me. This is extremely worshipful. I'm glad we came out to the park this morning to be closer to Jesus. You know, this is just, is just sort of the, the nonsensical things that we do without thinking things all the way through. Uh, you know, it's just is the weirdest distribution there ever was. You know, you walk like this and people are trying to... So anyway, um, there's a bit of warning against that in Leviticus 10. So the Lord has just filled the place with presence and fire, and he's told everybody exactly what to do. And then what happens? Well, they don't do it. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. So these guys are connected, right? Mayor Daly's boys. Each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered, and here's the kicker, unholy fire to the Lord, which is, they didn't get it from the altar. One fire's as good as the next, one bread's as good as the next, one wine's as good as the next, one water's as good as the next, one word's as good as the next. We'll make it up as we go along. Can't tell the difference between what's holy and unholy. And these are Aaron's boys, and they've been around for 10 chapters now. Okay? Such as he had not commanded them, or translated, do as you're told. Just, just do as you're told. Almost nobody can do what they're told. They couldn't do what they were told back then. It's because it's comforting, I guess, in a sick way. You know, people can't do what they're told today. They couldn't do what they were told back then. Well, occasionally, when you don't do what you're told, it's difficult. And fire came forth from the presence. Now, you just had this gospel fire that came down and uh, took up the sacrifice and made everybody okay. There's also fire in the way of the law. Fire came down from the presence of the Lord and devoured them. Boom. And you just burned them to a crisp. And they died before the Lord. And Moses turned to Aaron and said, This is what the Lord has said. I will show myself holy among those who are near me, and before all the people I will be glorified. Moses turns to Aaron and says, the Lord told us what to do, and your boys didn't do it. This went badly for you, but the Lord still tells us what to do. And the next line is very interesting, and Aaron held his peace. This is just, you know, I mean, there is coercion there, there is pain, 
And there's also, you know, there's just a single story in Scripture. You're dead or alive. You know, you're in the tomb or you're resurrected. You're in or you're out. Well, here it is. Now, the interesting thing about that is, is that the Lord just keeps going. And he keeps going to the point where we are today, which is the Day of Atonement. So the Lord says to Aaron, pay attention and teach your kids. And his kids don't get it, and his kids die because of it. And, you know, there's several other stories about where kids die in the scriptures because they won't pay attention to their parents. You know, we don't wish that. But when it happens, we say, yeah, we understand that. The fascinating thing, two things. One is that Aaron doesn't protest. He loves the Lord more than he loves his kids, which is difficult for all of us. And the second thing is, is in five more chapters where we're going today, it's going to be Aaron's job to bring the fire. And there must have been in Aaron, which all of us would have, I would think, a special measure of fear and trepidation. Because he's coming before the Lord and the consequences are great. This is why when the Holy, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, when it says the Holy Supper will either save you or kill you. I mean, the text actually says in 1 Corinthians 11, 26-ish, this is the reason some of you are weak and some of you are died, which means the Holy Supper will kill you. And I'm always so respectful of people, adults particularly, who commune in other churches but come to our altar and simply are blessed by it, or simply, simply for a blessing. I'm respectful of that because they're being respectful of us and they're keeping us from endangering them if they don't confess the body and blood. The last thing we want to do at the altar is hurt anybody. You know, you may believe that or you may not believe that. I'll just tell you that occasionally fire comes down and devours people. Maybe not often enough for my taste, you know. Uh, a couple of Ananias and Sapphira incidents at the door and the whole capital campaign goes a lot better. Okay? <laughs> But the Lord is the Lord, and he can do what he wants. Uh, you know, I just observe this, that you ought not to be... This doesn't mean that you're sort of locked in and you can't ever do anything new or different. It does mean that what you do lies within the boundaries of what's forgiven, of what's holy. And not anything is acceptable to the Lord. And we in our generation, and especially the generation ahead of me, has completely forgotten that. It's just, it's just forgotten it. Yes, please. Yeah, uh, this is a good point where he says that, uh, you know, we're such a nation of individuals. We all, we all, I'm responsible for my own sin, but I'm not going to be punished for yours, and I'm not going to be punished for my... If my kid does something wrong, I don't get punished, right? But in the old days, things were tied together. There was a much more sense of community, of church. It's, um, it's the Ten Commandments upon the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, right? It's in the catechism. We learn that. It's all connected. And we, you know, we should do a better job of that. Part of the reason, you know, you care for other, not only for your own kids, but other people in this congregation is because they're attached to you. You know, your real family is who you're baptized with. Not, you know, water in the church is thicker than blood. Your real family, you know, family values, your real family are the people who are baptized in the font with you. That's above, you know, the blood that runs in your veins. So that's a very good point. Thank you very much for that. So spin to 16 then. And you remember I said to you last week, this is the center, not only of Leviticus, it's the middle speech, but it is also the middle of the Pentateuch. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses' five books, this is the center of those five books. And uh, ancient books were much more clever in how they were constructed. I remember reading about a novel a few years ago written by a man um, you know, who's, you know, there's something about how it was written, you know, if you read it forward and you read it backward, it was exactly the same thing, but nobody noticed, and he was sort of crushed by that, how the punctuation worked and the pagination. We don't look for that anymore, but, but in the old days they did, and they would have noticed that this is the great big deal. So the point is, pay attention. Uh, so I've done one and two then on this sheet. You know, that's, this is the center, and you don't, you know, you don't freelance. This is basic first commandment stuff. God is holy, and so he's dangerous. He will bring you close, but on his terms. Okay? So just a quick read uh, through this. 16, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons. After the death of the two sons of Aaron, I'm sorry. And they drew near to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come to me, at all times into the holy place within the veil. So you don't just wander in any time you want. Before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, lest he die. I mean, this is a frightening stuff. For I will appear in the holy place with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen underwear on his body, be girded with a linen girdle, and wear the linen turbans, cover him up. These are holy garments. This is the only time these garments were worn, one day a year. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. So you bring your best to the Lord. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself. Now this is all stuff that you should sort of, this should be like falling off a log for you now. You know how this works and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats, set them before the Lord at the door of the tent of meeting. Now it gets kind of cool. And Aaron shall cast lots, and that's actually not the best translation. It probably should be. Uh, He shall tag them. You know how cattle have tags in their ears? That's what you do here. You tag them so you can tell them apart. So they put a signboard on them. Cast lots, this this, this word can mean cast lots, but here it probably doesn't. It can also mean you tag them, you mark them. You can tell A from B. That's, that's really what it means. It's not, so much, it's not so much that you roll the dice, but that you, uh, you mark them so you know what you're doing. So you tag them, one for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot or the tag fell for the Lord as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it and shall be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Okay? So let's just, uh, let's just stop there a second. And, and just, I, I'm at point three here. What's the Lord doing? Your sin is so serious that if you walk into the Lord's presence unprotected, you will die. Okay? This is just... This is where hell comes from. I mean, hell is nothing but confirmation of this. It's, you know, there's hell on earth. I mean, people who wander around unprotected are already in hell. Forgiven, but already in hell. It's great sadness. So what will the Lord do? He'll give you a place, a mercy seat, 
uh, a, a solid gold slab that covers the top of the ark. Meet me there, and you'll come there on the tenth day of every seventh month. And everything and everybody stops. Okay, so just flip your uh, flip your page over to verse twenty. When the priest has made an end of atoning for the holy place. Now you remember this too. He purges the place. And the tent of the meeting and the altar. Remember he's putting blood everywhere. On the ground. On the altar. He shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands. Upon the head of the live goat. And confess over him all the iniquities of the people of Israel. And all their transgressions. All their sins. And he shall put them upon the head of the goat and send him away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And then this is the bonus right here. The goat shall bear all their iniquities upon him to a solitary land, and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness. Okay. Now, Hebrew, Hebrews, Jews, the Hebrews, and Hebrew writing tells the story again and again. You read this in the Gospel of John, where John just keeps telling the same stories over and over again. So even in one chapter, you have the same instructions twice. Why is that? So that you'll pay attention. You learn by repetition. You learn by hearing the stories over and over again. It's why we keep reading the same stories again and again every year in the lectionary. So what's supposed to happen? What's supposed to happen is that everything stops. Persons, but not just persons, Time, space, action, life. Why does it all stop? Because it all needs to be redeemed. Sin is so pervasive. You know, it's so insidious. You know, it dribbles into every corner of our lives. It's so pervasive that it all needs to be redeemed. It's all or nothing. Okay? So what this means is, and I've given you, this is, under, this is under three, it probably meant, it probably meant no food, no drink, no bathing, no sex for 24 hours and probably sackcloth and ashes. Why? Because the ancient Israelites, like you, were multitaskers. You're always doing two things at once, aren't you? You're always doing two things at once? When you're talking on the phone, how many of you talk on the phone and walk around doing something else? Yeah, you do. You clatter dishes when you talk to me. I know you do. You're writing up a shopping list and yelling at your kids and watching Oprah. You're doing all that while you're talking to me. I listen to you. I can hear it. I know what's going on. You're multitaskers. It's great joy in that, okay? And you have trouble stopping. The Lord knows that about you. So what does he say? Once a year, everything grinds to a halt. Boom. It all stops, and it's complete rest in complete humility because you're nothing but given to. This is verses 29 and 31. It'll be a statute for you that in the seventh month, on the tenth day, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So you can't have your servants working for you either. They need to be forgiven too. And besides that, if you don't let them stop and be forgiven, you cheat them. Okay? So they all need to be forgiven. And on this day you shall make atonement to cleanse you from all your sins. You shall be clean before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Okay? And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. 
I just wonder, you know, whether or not, I'd be curious to know if you can rest. I wonder if I said to you, go home and take the rest of the day off, if you could actually do it. When was the last day? When was the, I wonder, just, just ask yourselves, you, you busy folk. When was the last day you had a day off and did nothing? See, and Thanksgiving doesn't count because what did you do? You cooked and cleaned and watched kids, and right? Cleaned before and cleaned after. When was the last day you actually did nothing? Yeah, that was the point of a Sabbath. So the Lord provides a way that it can all stop. Okay? And it centers around his presence on the ark. So I give you two things there at the bottom of the page. One is, did you see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Which is really about all the confirmation kids know about the Lord. They know, they, they haven't even seen Moses, the Ten Commandments. I mean, they don't even seen Charlton Histon go before the burning bush. Pretty much all they know is Raiders of the Lost Ark. You remember when they opened it and everybody melted? That's what it's like. And you know that the Ethiopians claim that they have it. Which is, you know, why we invade Iraq. We should invade Ethiopia and then look inside there. Because aren't you curious? You know, in Ethiopia, there's this temple. And there's one Ethiopian Orthodox monk who sits in the door. And on his deathbed, he brings in the next guy. And when you go in, you never come out. You die in that room. And they claim to have the ark inside. And people come to the fence around it. But it's fascinating. Nobody violates it. Nobody goes in to look. Wouldn't you like to know? I'm just curious what's in there. I'm curious when that one guy goes in there after 17 years, his, his mentor finally dies. And the guy who's, who's there chooses the next guy. He gets to decide. So on his deathbed, he sort of breathes out who the next guy is. That guy comes in, drags him out, and then he stays there the rest of his life. Aren't you curious? Whether he turns around, he's like, ah, the room is empty. This is the world. Or, he says, that is so cool. Because it's really here. I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe we should have a church tour. Maybe we should go. Where's Eifert when you need him? So four, the parts list. What you need for a day of atonement is one high priest, one bull, two rams, two tagged he goats, and two men in waiting. If you're going to have a day of atonement, that's what you do. Now what happens? The high priest by himself, as a representative for the people, washes himself and gets dressed. He bathes so that he comes perfectly clean, and he dresses in these garments, these linen garments that are very plain, that are only used once a year. And on his back he bears all the sins of Israel. He bears all their iniquity. He is, in fact, Israel reduced to one. Now you should, this would just be ringing in your ears. When we talk about Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king, ultimately it's Jesus who is Israel reduced to one. But until Jesus takes flesh, it's this high priest. So he dresses if you will, like an angel or like a courtier. He's trying to gain admission to the Lord. And you can check that in Zechariah. The angels are dressed just like the high priest. It's fascinating. So he dresses and he covers everything uh, but hands and mouth. And a bull gets slaughtered for himself, which means even he needs to be forgiven. And he comes in with hot coals and lots of incense. And if he doesn't come with the incense, then he's dead. Okay? I mean, he comes just the way the Lord tells him to come. Why is that? 
because he enters into the Lord's presence and he doesn't want, it's a way, you know, there's several reasons for it. Well, you know, one is, and I've given you the recipe there for incense in Exodus, where it forbids anybody, if anybody knocks off the recipe, you know, if you knock off the Chanel perfume, they put you in jail. If you knock off the incense recipe here, they uh, put you out of the camp. Why? Because when you smell that, you should say, I'm in church. So he brings the incense, and he puts up a cloud. Why? Because he doesn't see the Lord face to face. It covers the Lord at the same time it reveals him. It's a fog, and the Lord is there. But you don't, you don't ever come into the Lord's presence without some sort of cover. Okay? So he does what is normal to do. He brings the blood in, and uh, you remember that, 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 that then it begins to be placed. It's placed on the mercy seat, redeeming things, and it's on the floor, redeeming the space. And he brings it for the people, so the people get redeemed. All of that so that you understand how desperately sinful you are. And the Lord comes down to the mercy seat from heaven. So it's heaven to earth to the people. Or holiness, when it comes to earth, is called glory. And it goes out for people and doesn't kill them. It's called grace. So it's heaven to earth to people, or it's holiness, glory, grace. And it comes out and spills all over the people. Okay? Then the next thing, and you should be thinking here, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There are these two goats that are tagged. One says for the Lord, one says for Azazel. It's not completely clear what Azazel is. Um... It's possible that it's just a name for the scapegoat, but it's fascinating that there's another word, Azael, who is leader of the fallen angels in First Enoch. So it could be uh, another name, or a similar name, or another pronunciation for what's demonic, or for the head of the demons, or for Satan. Like Barabbas. It could be. It could be like Barabbas. It could be. You know, these, these words, um, you know, sometimes they're used, but sort of lost in translation, like Yahweh. You know, the Jews don't even know how to say the Lord's name because they went so many years without saying it. Nobody really knows that it's pronounced Yahweh. The Jews were told what it was, and then they didn't use it because they were afraid they'd mispronounce it and sin against the second commandment. But unfortunately, in not using it, they forgot how to say it. They know how to write it. They don't know how to say it. But Yahweh is our best guess. In the same way, um, I suppose it's like Harry Potter, maybe more than Barabbas, the name of the one who shall not be named, right? You don't say his name. Why? Because when you invoke the name, it's the same principle. It really is the same principle. When you invoke the name, you invoke the presence. That's why you don't swear. That's why you don't goof around with incantations. Because when you, this is how the spirit world works. When you invoke it, they actually, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invoke the name of the Lord so that the Lord is present. In the same way, when you invoke the name of demons, they make themselves present, right? So, what do you do? You have this goat. Atonement needs to be made. Uh, And this time, the priest lays both his hands on its head, and then he begins to confess. And it's interesting that he confesses everything from everybody. He bears all of Israel's sins. He puts both hands on this goat, and there's frankly a transfer 
of the sins of the people through the priest to the goat. Okay? And it's everything. And so you remember that's sort of normal talk for you. You know that the only sins that damn you are the ones that you hold back. That's why there are forgiven sinners in hell. Their sins are forgiven, and yet they held on to them and wanted to fix them themselves. The Lord forgave them on the cross, forgave everybody, wants them to be forgiven. But no, they'll hold them back. Well, if you hold them back, that'll be the end of you. Best thing is, is you put them on the goat, your scapegoat, or a scapegoat, the goat that's going to escape the camp and go away. So you put your hands on him, and you'll notice then that the goat, this is about, you know, four ticks up from the bottom, under number six, the goat bears them away, and the literal translation is, to an inaccessible region. You know, it just said wilderness here, but the reality is it's an inaccessible region. Now, you see, that should tell you something about your own sins. When people are tortured, you know, some, some days I wake up and I think about, uh, well, I, you know, I, sa I said I went to my 25th college reunion a couple of weeks ago, and I had said to somebody, I could spend the whole evening, you know, walking around to people I knew saying, I'm sorry. You know, th there's a way that, 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 you know, you sort of look back on your life at times and you think, you know, I can't quite believe that. And, and frankly, you know, 10 years from now, I'll be looking back on today saying, I, you know, I just can't, can't quite, quite believe I did that. Well, it, it all needs to be forgiven. And, and part of what you all need to remember, I mean, the stuff you've done, you know, to yourself, to other people, when the Lord forgives it, what it means is that your sins are carried away to an inaccessible place. I mean, you'll actually have to, if you want your sins back, you actually have to track the goat into the demonic regions and steal them back. You know, it's not impossible, but it really takes some doing. In the same way that once you're forgiven here at the altar in baptism, in absolution, your sins are really inaccessible to you anymore. Don't talk to me about your sins anymore. I mean, I'll talk to you about them if they still bother you, but, but in reality, those sins are gone. You neither think about them again, nor do you do them again. I mean, full forgiveness means that your, your sins have been carried away. Wave goodbye to them, you know, because they're out in the wilderness. And you're a new, forgiven person. It doesn't mean you were never a sinner. You know, the lepers who were forgiven, or were healed on Thanksgiving morning, you know, they can't ignore the fact that they were once lepers, but they are healed lepers. You can't ignore that you're that you were a sinner through and through. You can't ignore that, but you're a forgiven sinner. The Lord doesn't hold it against you, so nobody else can hold it against you, and you cannot hold it against yourself. And if you do, you know, you're, 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 you're breaking the rules of the game. The rules of the game are the Lord will provide a way to take your sins a long way away. I mean, it must have been great to watch the goat go into the wilderness as if your sins go over the horizon and suddenly disappear. Can you think that way about your own sins? That in forgiveness, they actually disappear. And the only way they ever come back to haunt you is if you track them down. But there's no point in that. So there's this servant who takes the goat away, far, far away. Meanwhile, when that's done, the priest comes back, washes up, and the party begins again. He takes off his once-a-year linen, all is forgiven. He puts back on these spectacular vestments where he has jewels representing every tribe of Israel. 
because he, he goes in their behalf. And normal life returns. And that, you see, in the Old Testament and here is the reason for forgiveness. The reason you're forgiven is that you can have normal life. Now, you think this is just theoretical, but it does, in fact, mean that you can forgive your wife, your husband, your kids, your friends, your pastors, when they've really done you in. This is, frankly, what forgiveness means. It means that the sins disappear and are no longer available for comment or use. Last thing, this is point seven. Occasionally, especially when we have new members, they're flummoxed by the fact that we're forgiven when we say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're forgiven when we have a baptism and remember our baptism. We're forgiven when we sing, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. We're forgiven in absolution. We're forgiven when the gospel is spoken. We're forgiven in the sermon when the words of Christ are preached. We're forgiven in the creed when we confess Jesus Christ, born of Mary, you know, died, resurrected for our sins. We're, we're forgiven in uh, the Holy Supper when the body and blood hits us. Uh, we're blessed and send on our way in forgiveness at the benediction. Forgiven, 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 forgiven. Lord's Prayer, forgiven, forgiven. And people are flummoxed by that because they think, well, what, what, couldn't the Lord get it right the first time? And of course, the answer is the depth of your sin and the psychic toll of that, your ability to remember it, to cling to it, to hold on to it, to be bothered by it, to try to use it, requires repeated forgiveness, repeated assurance. It's not that the Lord didn't get it right. It's that you can't get it right. It means that you sin sometimes between in the invocation and the absolution when you look sideways at the person who shares your pew whom you really don't like very much. It means that you sin sometimes between the absolution and the supper when you, uh, you, you know, see someone or think of someone that uh, still draws hate into your heart. You're forgiven so much because we require it, not because the Lord can't get it right. And you don't really, it's one of those cases where you get, if you ask the wrong question, you always get the wrong answer. The question is not, how much forgiveness do I need? The answer is, or the question is, how much forgiveness does the Lord want to give? And the answer is, he wants to give more than you've got sins for. Okay, and I give you that last thing, uh, which, you know, I, I'm indebted to John Nordling, who's a, now a classics uh, scholar at Baylor, where uh, he calls me one day and says, Romans 5.20. He says, this is the coolest thing. He said, Romans 5.20. You know this text by heart. It says, sin abounds and grace abounds all the more. But the two words there, sin abounds, is a word used for addition. Two plus two plus two plus two plus two. Grace abounds all the more. It doesn't really get it in English, but that Greek word is the one used for multiplication. Two times two times two times two. So it means that your sins go like this. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. And grace uh, increases two times two is four. Uh, times 2 is 8, times 2 is 16. So grace is always way more than sin. Isn't that cool? The Lord forgives more sins than you've got. That's the reason why this, this constant atonement, this constant spilling, this constant uh, ritual, where even after you've sent the goat out, the first thing the priest does is come back and make some more sacrifices. Why? Because you can't get too forgiven. And if you don't know that in your own life, you're either you know, very deluded or a liar. Because you need it, and you think about it, 
And if you don't know that, you should think about it because you need it. Okay? The depth of our sin and, you know, the greatness of our need requires this repeated and thorough forgiveness. And that's what's going on in the Day of Atonement. Once in a while, it's good for everybody to stop, rest, and have everything completely forgiven. Uh, you might think of that as you come today. Now, I didn't do the Christ bit, but Hebrews says Christ, of course, is the scapegoat who goes into demonic places bearing your sin and opens heaven up to you. Fascinating stuff. Uh, come hang around. We're just going to do this a couple more weeks. You know, there's only three weeks until we stop uh, for Christmas and all, so we need to get a little bit of work done. But come back next week, see what happens. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks.